0: Hello and welcome to The Price of Football The show that looks at the money Behind the beautiful game with me, Kevin Day And Liverpool University's Kieran Maguire Kieran, how are you this morning?
1: All is good, all is good Still recovering from sing-along-a-rick At the Royal Albert Hall <laughs> on Thursday night And... Uh, what magnificent hair
0: that man has for a bloke of 50 Hasn't he just? Oh, yeah. my
1: word, I'd like those, some of those jeans.
0: Yeah, jeans? Which jeans? The jeans he was... I wasn't impressed with the jeans he wore on Strictly last week, I had to say. He's a, he's also a, he's a lovely man, and it's a beautiful venue as well, isn't it?
1: That's, that's absolutely incredible. Uh, yeah. I, I saw... I think I saw last band I saw there was Killing Joke. So as you can imagine, <laughs> it was quite contrast.
0: How did Killing Joke allow themselves to agree to do the Albert Hall?
1: Really? <laughs> it's what everybody's wish list. You talk to anybody, yeah, yeah, you, you know, you know plenty more people than I do,
0: but it must be such a feather in the cap. Not for, not Killing Joke, Kieran. Not Killing Joke 40 years ago. Um, as you can probably tell, Kieran, I'm quite chipper. We're recording this on Sunday morning, and I'm, I'm quite chipper because uh, <clears throat> I've, I've decided, you know, that the flower arranging... <sighs> News has has rocked my hard man image, Kieran. My <laughs> South London hard man image <laughs> has taken a battery. So I thought I might as well go full in uh, and, and tell you that I I can't drive. I don't like cars. I have no interest in engines, which really annoys Ali. But I love I love old. I love, love looking at old cars. So I, I got myself up early this morning, Kieran, and the London to Brighton vintage car rally goes down the end of my road. So I had a very happy hour watching the uh, the the old cars, the veterans, go from London to Brighton until it suddenly occurred to me, Kieran, that London to Brighton vintage could easily describe us.
1: Yes. Um, <laughs> Harsh uh,
0: <repair>. and I, <laughs> I got slightly disheartened. But uh, no, I, really, I love watching those little cars poodle by. Um, cause that's, I've decided from now on, Kieran, that's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to pootle through the rest of life. You know. <laughs> no, nothing. A bit, bit of flower arranging, a bit of pootling. Um uh, and it's questions today, Kieran. We do have a couple of news stories. And, and our first news story, Kieran, involves this pod.
1: Yes. Uh, well, we're honoured, delighted to be, uh, yeah. we've been nominated for the Best Podcast Award uh, by the Football Supporters Association. I, I suspect, yeah, and there's yeah, congratulations to everybody else in, in all the categories and also the, the podcast. There's, there's some fine, fine uh, comp- competition there. Uh, I suspect we're the only podcast that wants to never have to do a podcast again because we, yeah, you know, we've, <laughs> we've increasingly realised that eighty percent at least of our stories tend to be bad news stories, um, and therefore we're quite looking to looking forward to, to closing down. But with uh, with with so many scamps and scallywags in the industry, I suspect we've probably got a week or two's materials left—the very mm. very minimum.
0: Yeah, I, I saw your... See, this is going to immediately contradict my pootling through life uh, theory, as I saw your tweet saying congratulations to the other nominees. Uh, my theory is, stuff the other nominees, Kieran. Right, <laughs> just, just just for once, my my mantelpiece needs updating badly. I can't keep putting pictures of smudge up there. I need a trophy, Kieran. Um, I I understand people can vote for us, Kieran. Is that right? Is that how it works? That's right. If you go to the FSA
1: website, um, you can. There's a link there, and you can vote uh, for for a broad range of categories, uh, of which the most important, as far as we're concerned, is podcast of the year. Yeah.
0: Oh, yeah, don't vote in any other category. Let's just, just vote in that category and vote for us. Uh, actually, we should come up with some sort of Gianni Infantino-style inducement, Kieran, shouldn't we? <laughs> for the, the, we'll, we'll, tell, we'll tell them the full Lawrence Bassini story. How's that? Um, proper I th- news. I think that could Let's get st- us closed down before the awards, <laughs> actually. Oh, no, no, we'll do it after he awards, Kieran. Right. We'll go out with we'll, we'll a we'll bang. That'll be yes. the picture they show on the front page of The Guardian. <laughs> we'll be, we'll, as we're coming out of court, we'll, we'll be brandishing the, the trophy. Um, we did say, Kieran, William Storey said that he would come on the pod. And we said uh, that would only be a good thing if he actually had bought Reading. Otherwise, he's just, you know, as we said, a, a ZZ top lookalike. Um, but it looks like he won't be coming on the pod anytime soon, Kieran.
1: Yes, I think it's fair to say I had one or two reservations uh, with regard to William. Yeah, we've we're, we're, we're on speaking terms, or well, we're on tweeting terms at present, which is good. Um, he said that following an accountant's review of his from his investment team, he's decided to not carry on with the potential investment in Reading. Um, he'd also posted, I think, twenty four hours earlier to that, when there was talk about Mike Ashley potentially getting involved in Reading. Uh, he just he's just he he's sent a two word tweet: "Binding agreement." Oh, uh, and everybody that's, that started the rats are running. Um they, then followed. I think it's fair. They say and I, I was trying to work out the cryptic clue in this one. Um, William started doing William had somebody film him do some keepy uppies. Then he then he dribbled past a twelve-year-old <laughs> and shot and hit the hit the bar um in a in a five-a-side course. And I'm going, I I, I can normally decode things. And yeah, my, my social skills aren't great, but I can normally sort of try and decode things and trying to work out what he meant from that. Uh, was very difficult. But, you know, if he's if he still got it, you know, to, to, to
0: dribble past 12-year-olds
1: at his age, then fair play to him.
0: Dribble past uh, terrified 12-year-olds, Kieran, I think <laughs> yes. you, should, you should point out. I, I don't know where they got them from, but the sight of a large man with a very long beard, they must have said, he looks like Father Christmas. Oh, great. Uh. <laughs> and I, I, you mentioned the accountant's review, Kieran. I, I, I suspect the accountant's review probably came up with the notion that he didn't have as much money as he thought he did to buy the club, so uh, I, I can't help thinking that Reading have dodged a bullet there, Kieran. But you know, let's let's hope that the stories about Mike Ashley are true because it would be lovely to take Reading off our list, Kieran. Um, but something that's staying on our list is, for the moment, is the independent football regulator, as proposed by your best friend, um, and it looks like it is going to be put into law, Kieran.
1: Yes. If we we take a look at uh, some of the government's websites, um, the King's speech is due to take place on Tuesday. And the the independent regulator does appear to be forming part of that with regards to the contents. Uh, I think What's e- equally intriguing is that uh, there is a job being advertised. It looks like it's an internal one, but this, this, this was found by, by one of the journalists, um, that there is a sort of a, an interim shadow uh, head of the uh, independent regulator with, with that job due to start on the 1st of January, 2024. And the aim, my understanding, is from senior sources. Um, can, we, can we use that phrase now without it sounding too pretentious? Um, yes, of course. We're nominated podcasts, um, podcast, Kieran. Absolutely. Um, senior sources, which means uh, a bloke I met down the pub, of course. <laughs> um, and and I, I, was at a, I was at one of these panels a few days ago, and it, it did come up, was the aim is that they want the the coast to be as clear as possible when the legislation comes through Parliament, so that as soon as the the legislation is passed, then the aim of uh, appointing a chief executive and a a chair of the regulator that can go full steam ahead, and um, we can have a regulator in place because yeah, yeah unfortunately we are too busy you know this show's supposed to be 20 minutes a week and huh. it's, it's it's two or three times that um we've still got the issue of the premier league which is is taking the the triple d approach to the regulator of delay discredit and divert um which is sort of classic guerrilla tactics as far as uh public relations is concerned And I think with having a shadow regulator in place, that will give uh, those people involved in in drawing up the the legislation, that'll give them a stronger position. And also, once the the legislation is passed, we we can then move ahead. And I think it's it's disappointing that the Premier League's still taking this uh, rather uh, arsey approach, uh, because... I, I I look at the regulations and it doesn't really affect those clubs. OK, you won't be allowed to, to join the Super League um, unless you want to leave English football. Yeah, and, and if that, that's what you want to do, well, that, that's your choice. Uh, but other than that, it, it's, not, it's not particularly restrictive. And I think the only other issue has been the distribution of money between the Premier League and the EFL. And all I would say is that without the threat of a regulator, we, we wouldn't be anywhere near... Close to a deal, and you know, the, the or the proposals which which still have some way to to, to work on both sides.
0: Mm. My takeaway from that, Kieran, is that you wouldn't want to be starting a job on January the 1st, would you? That's not that's January the 1st is a day for slumping in front of the sound of music because you're <laughs> too hungover to reach the remote control for the telly let alone starting a high-profile job. Questions, Kieran? Um, Oddly enough, one of our questions is about the, the Super League, and it's a very interesting question as well. But before we get to that, we have a question from Sean Ford. Hello, Sean. Sean says, I'm constantly reminded by the pod how successful the Premier League is. Teams are able to recruit the best talent, pay the biggest wages, make the most money from telly, have big overseas fan bases, and regularly dominate the latter stages of most European competitions. But does this make us the bad guys? Is there anything the global governing bodies of football could be doing to make elite sport more equitable? And most importantly, can you ever see a world where the Premier League would allow this to happen? Um, I I wouldn't say
1: the Premier League is the bad guys. I think the Premier League is the organisation that got the right decisions at the right, made the right decisions at the right time and is now reaping the rewards uh, it's it very much invested in trying to attract an overseas audience, whereas La Liga, Bundesliga, Syria were a bit sniffy towards it, and yeah, overseas viewers have a limited amount of of time available, as we do. Yeah, you know, you know, how often do you watch German football, you know, or uh, Italian football these days? Given the amount of attention or the amount of Premier League matches that we can see, um. So I think the Premier League is is very successful and deservedly so. Um, the matches are all sold out as well. Yeah, you know, the, the the average isn't attendance isn't quite as high as that of Germany, but that's that's more to do with with supply side issues in the sense that the stadiums. Yeah, we, we could have if we had more forty and forty five thousand seater stadiums, we we would overtake Germany. Given, uh, you know the, the ticket sales are so good. Um, is there anything the global governing bodies of football could to make, to make elite sport more equitable? Yes. What they could do is that they could set up a, a, a super league or a European competition and ban English clubs from participation. And therefore, you know, what would, what would the result of that be? Um, yeah. You know, you'd have, you still have Real Madrid and, and Barcelona and Bayern and, you know, the, the other, you know, the big Italian clubs and so on. Uh, and, you know, we, we, Revisiting this this topic, as you, as you rightly said, a little bit later, um, the the, gov, the global governing bodies of football, FIFA, doesn't really want to get involved in uh, club competitions, with the exception of the the FIFA Club World Cup, World Cup, which is kicking it in twenty twenty five. So I don't think FIFA would UEFA um, part part of the success of the Champions League is that it features Premier League clubs, which themselves have huge followings. So even if a an alternative competition was set up, which excluded English clubs, I'm not sure the viewing figures would be as great because people in this country wouldn't watch because we are quite parochial. Um, so could I ever see a world where the Premier League would allow this to happen? No, no, no nobody gives up competitive advantage willingly, Yeah, you know, as we've just been you know, referring to in relation to the... Uh, the King's Speech, the Premier League, does not want to give up uh, power and money. And those are the two driving forces of of corporate behaviour.
0: Let's let's revisit it now, Kieran, if you can revisit something after three seconds. And this is a very interesting question, I think, from David Watson. Um, And David Watson is a Rangers fan. Uh, David Watson says, there seems to be an increasing view that the European Super League will go ahead as a rival to the English Premier League. How realistic do you think an invite is for Rangers to join? Logically, if no English teams participate, there is a need to ensure British interest in the competition to maximise the value of the European Super League's UK TV deal. Whilst I disagree with the European Super League concept, since 1992, the commercialisation of European football has only ever been in ways that harm us as a large club in a small country. I just don't see that we could snub such an opportunity I think that's a very interesting question Kieran and I'm particularly drawn to the first part I was talking to some friends about this the other day I agree with you you've always said the European Super League will will go ahead because the richest clubs in Europe want it to happen but increasingly it occurs to me that it will be a European Super League that doesn't have English teams in it Uh,
1: Yes and if it does go ahead under those circumstances um, you know what what will be the response of Premier League owners? Because let's face it, you know Fenway Sports Group, the Glazers, Stan Kroenke and co, they will follow the money. So, you know, worst case scenario, Manchester United relocates to Dublin, you know, um, and so on. You know, you, you could you could see a potential for. Uh, these clubs not wanting to be part of the Premier League if the if the Super League becomes more financially beneficial, what they actually want to do, of course, is to have their cake and eat it, which was the proposals of both the Super League and, and Big Picture. Um, so, could it happen? Uh, possibly. You know the, the noises we get from German football, certainly German football fans. I don't know whether you saw some of the banners that. Uh, uh, were were created by German fans uh, on Saturday. Uh, they are quite a they're quite a feisty bunch. They are indeed, and I'm, I'm not sure that they want it because actually, for if, if you if you support Dortmund or Bayern Munich or the, you know, the Kaiser or whoever it's going to be, um, they love coming to England. They, they want yeah. to see their yeah, teams yeah. play Manchester United and Liverpool and Chelsea and so on. So, yeah, you're you're, you're denying fans the opportunity to to contribute to that. Um, with with David's second part of the question, um, how realistic do you think an invite is there for Rangers? I, I spoke to one of our lawyer friends here, and he said it depends, which will come, as a, <laughs> which comes as a huge shock. Um, my my, cons, my concern is if, if we take a look at the latest manifest manifestation. Of the Super League now. For people not aware, there's an organisation called A22. A22 is it, it. It claims to be an independent consultants, but if you go to Barcelona's website, which, of course, being a nosy little toe rag is what I've done, um, it makes reference to a a twenty two where the organisation given the uh, given the job of marketing and organising the Super League. So. Um, an A22, an interesting uh, Twitter account to follow because they put out a lot of things saying uh, uh, European football needs, uh, needs a revamp and we've got this fantastic proposal. And of course, soon as you go into the details of their fantastic proposal, the European Super League in its latest on its new manifestation, would probably involve three or four divisions. So there would be promotion and relegation. So could Rangers be asked to join it? Yes, they could. And Celtic as well. You know, let's be honest with you. Uh, Celt- Celtic, I know Rangers fans don't want to hear this, but Rangers are a wee bit behind Celtic, both on and off the pitch in, in terms of, of where they stand at present. So Rangers and Celtic potentially could both be invited to join it. If it's going to be four divisions of 12 clubs, how would Rangers feel if they end up in you know division two II or three because you know and they're not going like to hear this the chances are they're not going to be able to compete with Barcelona and Bayern Munich and PSG and Juventus and and you know and other clubs um, and even you know some of the the smaller countries or the more mid-sized countries in Europe you know the likes of Belgium and Portugal and so on and and the Netherlands they do reasonably well in the Champions League. So if the Super League is non-England based and three divisions or four divisions of 12, I think it would be beneficial to the competition to have Rangers and Celtic. But I don't think yeah you know, they're used to being top dog. Yeah you know, let's face it if in in Scotland if you're Rangers or Celtic fan finishing as runners-up in the Scottish Premiership is seen as failure. Yeah. So how would they feel about finishing seventh in the second or third division of this competition.
0: Yeah, it it strikes me, Kieran, that it's the very success of the Premier League, particularly commercially, that will eventually make a European Super League inevitable because, you know, those clubs in Spain, France and Italy are surely coming to realise that they will never be able to compete in terms of a broadcasting deal with the Premier League. So they might as well throw the dice and set up their own Super League and they may make some extra money that way. Yes. Um, yeah, Barcelona and Real
1: Madrid are both money-making machines. They're not very good at controlling costs, especially Barcelona, as we've discussed, on regular occasions. Um, I think the big issue is for the the mid-tier uh, Spanish teams, you know, the likes of Betis, Valencia and so on, who they cannot compete even with clubs at the bottom of the Premier League, such as the success of the Premier League TV deal. So you can understand those clubs in particular are, are somewhat narky when seeing you know, a talent drain. It doesn't stop them from winning competitions. You know, they, they tend to be quite successful in, in both you know, the conference and, um, and the Europa League. But the, the, there is no doubt we've seen with regards to the, the latest values of the Italian and the French TV deals um, yeah, they're going nowhere. Whereas the Premier League still has, it certainly has growth internationally. And it looks as if the, the packages which are going to be made available to broadcasters from 2025 onwards, um, there'll probably be an uptick in terms of those values as well. And remember, those values are already substantially
0: higher than those of the rest of Europe. This episode of The Price of Football is brought to you by the AI powered workspace Notion. What if you had access to tomorrow's tools today? In Notion, you do. It's the AI powered workspace where any team can turn ideas into action.
1: My career is sort of a bit like being a butterfly, and I'm always jumping from project to project. So, therefore, Notion helps me from summarizing meetings notes and automatically generating action items to getting answers to any question in seconds. If you can think it, you can make it. And Notion is for everyone, whether you're a Fortune 500 company or a freelance football finance lecturer.
0: You can try Notion for free when you go to notion.com slash price of football. That's all lowercase letters, notion.com slash price of football and start turning ideas into action. That's notion.com slash price of football. Question now from Robert Hutchinson. and Robert says, how do you think National League clubs spending millions trying to buy their way into the Football League would be judged if they were covered by financial fair play regulations? Yeah, I think this is a, this is a corker
1: from uh, Robert. Um, Stockport County were promoted to the EFL and the, their final season in the National League, uh, they lost £90,000 a week. And this is for a club in the fifth tier. Now, as somebody that used to live in Stockport and used to go to Edgeley Park on a Friday night, I'm absolutely delighted that Stockport are back in the EFL uh, and they're having a cracking season as well. And they've got a new owner, a local owner, put a lot of money into the club. Um, But uh, would they be able to comply with the rules of the EFL if they've been in the championship? The answer would probably have been yes, because... Under the EF EF rules, there is a wage gap. You're not allowed to spend more than 50% of your, your income on wages uh, in League Two. But for every £100 put in by owners in the form of shares, you're allowed to increase your wage bill by £100. This is called football fortune. So an awful lot of money, which has come in to the likes of Wrexham and Stockport and Notts County and Salford City who've all been promoted in recent years that money has come in the form of football fortune so therefore in my view those clubs would have been and will continue to be compliant with the the, the rules and people say well the rules aren't fair um and, and this the EFL's coming in for a lot of criticism from from some clubs and uh, yeah we're we we're, we we're big friends with Trevor Birch and, and some of his team as well. Yeah, we, we've met them on occasion. They've always been very fair in what they've said. Um, what people seem to forget is that the EFL does not make the rules. The EFL is is effectively sort of the civil service uh, in terms of they apply the rules um, and the rules are actually voted for by the clubs themselves. So if people are unhappy with... The nature of the owners and directors test or the financial fair play rules, then they really should be sort of pointing the finger at the owners of the clubs that they support, because it's those owners that make those rules. And those owners make those rules because it's driven by self-interest. Why create a high hurdle in respect of buying a football club if you're a football club owner? Because you and I both know that probably half the clubs in EFL are up for sale either you know, either being advertised or they'll accept a knock on the door and, and come in and have a conversation. So why create a high hurdle? Because it will make it more difficult for you to sell your club and, and therefore it will automatically restrict the pool of people who are interested in buying the club, which will have an impact upon the sales price as well.
0: Our next question, Kieran, comes from Chris Proctor, but it could just as easily have come from Kevin Day. As Chris Proctor says, what is the point of a loan deal with an obligation to buy? Why don't clubs just buy the player straight away if they're then obliged to buy the player anyway once the loan agreement is finished? Is this arrangement more beneficial for one of the buying or selling clubs? Or is this the equivalent of a Klarna type buy now, pay later service when the buying club think they should have some money by the summer? Right.
1: I think there's a little bit of a misconception
0: with regards to obligation
1: to buy. because People assume that that obligation is unequivocal, whereas from my understanding of the circumstances is that the obligation is triggered by a specific event so if we take the case of uh, Anthony Knockhart, he went or uh, he, w- he was loaned by Brighton to Fulham when Fulham were in the championship um, on an obligation to buy deal. But the obligation only kicked in if Fulham were promoted. So there has to be um, an obligating event, uh, which I think is sort of the legal, te- certainly the accounting terminology that we'd use. And the obligating event would be has such a so it could be that if the player plays 30 games in the season then you have to buy them at the end of the season or if the club is promoted or or such and such. So it's it's not a con a concrete uh, guarantee that the player will be bought. It's this will happen if these following circumstances have been achieved. Um, the benefit for the selling club is that they are guaranteed a loan fee in respect of the player. A player who's probably, you know, for whatever reason, isn't isn't in the manager's plans. The player gets an opportunity to play football and put themselves into a uh, into the shop window, and the buying club or the potential buying club gets gets the talent. So, um, and it could work out that it's cheaper to play. A, a loan fee and then buy the player and when you then got to amortise him in season number two than if you bought him straight away. So so there are benefits to all three parties but the obligation uh, it's not a case of it's not a deferred guaranteed buy there has to be a criteria through which the obligation will kick in.
0: Uh, well Chris Proctor uh, I hope it's some consolation for you to learn that you were acting under a misconception to realise that I was acting under the same misconception. So now we know. I'm a bit sinister, Kieran. It's the only word I can use for the phrase obligating event. It sounds like something you'd take the cat for. I'm sorry about this much, but we're going to the vet for an obligating event. Um, John Swift has our next question. Um, It's it's quite a long question, uh, Kieran, but listeners uh, need to stick with it because I think it's an important one and it's a a topical one i believe as well john swift says after watching netflix's a fifa uncovered documentary it seems to me that the root of a lot of fifa's corruption stems from the one country one vote system it seems far too easy to offer bribes and benefits to secure the votes of small countries that have outsized power relative to their size and football ranking my proposal would be to reform the one country one vote system to one where any measure would have to receive both half the votes of all the member unions but it would also require that any measure have the support of enough unions that represent greater than 50% of the world's population. To me, this would seem to prevent the likes of Jack Warner, who held outsized influence and became extraordinarily corrupt due to his control over the votes for small island nations in the Caribbean. Do you think this would work and would lead to less corruption and backroom deals? I mean, it seems to me on the face of it, Kieran, that that would be a little harsh, That the, you know, each country should have a, a a vote, no matter how big they are in any system. But there's no denying that we need a solution to what is clear is endemic corruption in FIFA. There's a really interesting article in The Observer this weekend, Kieran, about Gianni Infantino and FIFA's relationship with, with Saudi Arabia, which I'm not <laughs> suggesting for one moment um, is linked to corruption. But it, it, let's say that the current system is open to manipulation
1: it, it is all systems are open to manipulation um I, i'm minded to recall the um not the nine o'clock news sketch where uh, mel mel smith was a trade union uh, chief exec uh, chair and they had six trade unions all about to vote together And because he had more members in his trade union, five people voted against him, and he said motion carried. Now, if if we then apply this to FIFA, um, India and China together have got a pretty significant proportion of the world's population. Between them, they have qualified for one FIFA World Cup, and between them, they have won zero games in FIFA World Cup finals. So it, that, intuitively to me, would seem a bit strange that countries which are not necessarily football-orientated, and you know, we're fully aware with the, the Cricket World Cup taking place at present and uh, India very much the firm favourites to win it. Um, you know, fo- Football's sizeable in India, but compared to... Cricket, it's it's a small sport. Um, so I agree with you, and I agree with John that the present system is open to abuse. If if you take a look at the 211 members of FIFA um, from the World Cup, uh, every country gets an annual payment, an equal amount of money. Uh, the participating nations do get more money, and if we take a country such as Aruba which I think is currently ranked 206th out of the 211 uh, members. And you can tell I've been on Google this morning. Aruba, (laughs) uh, which which I didn't even know existed. I I think uh, I've now now got a a desire to go on holiday to Aruba because it does actually sound quite a nice place. Uh, Aruba is a full FIFA member, as is Gibraltar. Uh, as is the British Virgin Islands, but but Aruba has a population of 106,000 people. Should that have the same voting rights as India or China or even countries such as Germany and Argentina, which have won the World Cup on many occasions? Um, I think there is a a, a question mark. And uh, the likes of Infantino and Blatter have been very keen to... Uh, talk to the likes of Aruba and Gibraltar and the British Virgin Islands and the Turks and Caicos Islands and and treat them as equals because they've got an equal number of votes. Um, And those countries would not get the benefits of FIFA's money um, were it not for Infantino. So therefore, you can understand why they vote for him. Um, It's it's politics trying to work out a system which is for the benefit of football as a whole, I think would prove to be very difficult because there will always be winners and losers regardless of the uh, the way that the votes were organised.
0: Uh, Aruba, Kieran, has, as you can see, I'm grinning at the moment, Aruba is one of the few countries in the world that it is impossible to say without grinning. It's just yes. Aruba. It's um, Mel Smith was... Um, one of the nicest people you could meet. Oh, good. He was delightful, Mel, but I've never met a man who needed less excuse to not work than than Mel. (laughs) For Mel, working really did get in the way of enjoying himself. There's there's so many stories about Mel. There's one in particular where he was coming back from Sandown with a couple of friends and his horse had had one and he was on the train and the the refreshment trolley came round with various alcoholic drinks on it and the Refreshment lady asked uh, Mel if he would like anything from the trolley. He said, "Yes, I'd like the trolley, please." And he bought the entire trolley, <laughs> basically, uh, and then proceeded to to wheel the trolley up and down the train, giving away the drinks on the trolley. He was um, a remarkable man, uh, and the, uh, you've never met two more people, two different people than Mel and Griff. They're uh, incredible. Um, I, I again, like Aruba, I can't mention Mel's name without smiling dominic camerman has our next question and dominic says around valentine's day this year napoli played in a specific valentine's day shirt could we see something similar in the premier league or champions league or do they forbid such one-off shirts um well once again
1: i I would say to dominic i I think first of all this is a good idea um ultimately we we talk about the premier league as if it has its own mind it doesn't What it would need is 14 votes. And you have to, with a two thirds majority, you can have anything uh, that you so desire uh, within the Premier League, including setting up and joining a Super League, um, which is perhaps why we need an independent regulator. But with regards to this, uh, clubs are presently allowed to uh, have one match a season where they use a different sponsor as far as the Premier League is concerned. Um, with regards to shirts, there is nothing to stop a one-off shirt because we've also seen, you know, and, and here I, I, I'm holding up my colourblind hat, um, where in the sense that you might have to have a one-off shirt because there, there are clashes. I, I remember when, when Palace played Brighton, in 2005 at sellhurst uh the the guy that was in charge of brighton at the time thought it was quite a good idea to have three kits all of which involved blue um which even i thought was a bit it seemed a bit strange um so therefore they had to have a one-off kit created for that match which which was an all-white kit because clearly you have Powers were playing in in uh in blue and red stripes so it can take place with regards to um UEFA and the Champions League where where there's a will there's a way but I don't see this being too much of a problem although UEFA can be a bit sniffy as we've seen in relation to um their objection to the the Bob Marley reference on the back of Ajax shirts uh, a couple of seasons ago
0: See, I'm all for this idea, Kieran. I, I, coming up to my favourite time of year, I'd, I'd love to see Palace playing the football equivalent of a Christmas jumper. I'd, I'd love to see it's... Dominic. I'd love, really, I'd love to see Jordan Ayou with a couple of massive reindeer. <laughs> 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 That'd be great. And maybe a little light-up one as well. At, at half-time, as it's getting dark, just every year there's little flashing lights going across his Christmas sleigh. That's no, that's a great idea, um, Matt Holly. Oh, there you go. What? What? Look at that! Wow. Well, that couldn't it couldn't be better, it, could it? Vote for us, yeah, you know, With with oh. with links like this. Wow. Wait till they get to the question from Tommy Tintle coming up.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, Matt. Oh, oh, Matt. Please promise me, Matt. If you if you if you were called Matt Holly and you had a, a child, a daughter, you'd have to call it Ivy. Ivy Holly. Wow. Oh. That'd be a great name. <laughs> I wanted to call my son uh, zippity Doodar because I thought zippity Doodar Day would be a brilliant name. But, uh, like, I got outvoted one to one, which, yes. is, what, I, which I is I is know what, that feeling. <laughs> um, Matt Holly says if the Newcastle owners brought a billion pounds of Newcastle shares and the club invested the billion pound, would the income from the investment count towards FFP? I think this is a really interesting question, Kevin.
1: Core. Cool. This is a corker. Um, under present legislation, I think they probably could, uh, because if we take a look at the accounts of clubs, some of them do have investment income, um, and that's uh, and that's included in profit before tax. And profit before tax is the initial point through which uh, the profitability and sustainability uh, calculations are are drawn. Um, I suspect there would be a response from other clubs. And once again, if 14 clubs vote to change the rules, they could say there is an automatic cap on investment income being included. But under the present rules, I think, uh, yeah, I think Matt's got a a nice little one here. Um, But there would be an instant response um, from... From other Premier League owners, and remember there are Premier League meetings which take place on a monthly basis. I suspect we could be moving into a very interesting time in January with talk about Newcastle potentially loaning players from the Saudi Pro League um, t- uh, to Newcastle for the for the second half of the season. And yeah, you know, Newcastle are yeah you know, they're flying at present. Yeah, you know, they're playing good football with with the current squad, but uh, yeah. Yeah, Ronaldo, uh, Benzema—if uh, he hadn't wrecked his knee, you know, Neymar and co. There's there's some good players as well, and uh, you know it, it'll be it'll be a shorter distance for Jordan Henderson to, to pop home because he's he's, let, he's still left his rainbow laces in in Cheshire, and they're, they're waiting for him to collect them. So you know that that would be benefit for him as well.
0: Jeff Sullivan, that shouldn't be the hardest name to pronounce, should it? Jeff Sullivan. I mean, I have trouble with some of the continental names, Kieran, which I'll try to pronounce correctly, but it didn't even occur to me to think about pronouncing Jeff Sullivan correctly. I apologise, Jeff. Um, Jeff has our penultimate question, and it's a a subject that does perplex a lot of uh, football fans here, Kieran. Um, Jeff says, I have a couple of questions about the NFL games at Spurs. How much are Spurs paid for hosting these games and who pays that money? Is it the teams that take part in them? Is it the NFL or a combination of the two? And would the Premier League consider moving a game to the US or anywhere else for that matter?
1: Oh, if you've got a can of worms, consider it opened. (laughs) Um, Spurs have a contract with the NFL. Oh. not with individual teams. Okay. And that is to host two games a season. Um, this is part of the NFL's desire to globalise interest in the sport. Those matches are spectacularly sold out. The ticket prices are high. Um, I believe Spurs get a hosting fee of in the region of a million pounds per match. Plus, they have similar income coming from catering. Uh, you know, we've spoken before, Spurs have... Um, got a lot of things right in relation to to the new White Hart Lane. Um, one of which is if you take a look at their commercial income, which uh, which will include. So we, we don't we've not seen the specific contract. Ultimately, it's a private it's a private contract. But I think these rumours are, are reasonably fair. Spurs have trebled their commercial income since moving to the new White Hart Lane. Um, and then now, yeah, they were in around about 50 million, 60 million. Now it's up; it's, it's about 180. So they've done extremely well with regards to the new stadium. Um, as far as the Premier League consider moving a match to the US or anywhere else, um, everything's up for grabs. Once again, it comes down to you need 14 votes. And we we recall a decade ago or so when... One of the things that was discussed at the Premier League meeting was the legendary ninth game yeah. where um, there would be a series of fixtures where the Premier League would effectively take itself overseas um, with a view to um, you know increasing the interest in the game um, I'm sure players and coaches will be you, know, if, you know, if that had come through as well as fans because uh, I think there's an article in the uh, the article in the Liverpool Echo or the Athletic about a Liverpool fan from Norway who's who's travelled to a thousand consecutive games from Norway, home yeah. and away, which is a hell of an achievement. So, yeah, fans do go to to all lengths to see their team. You, you can understand some diehard fans of individual clubs would be aghast at this, um, but it it could certainly happen. Um, everything is on the table until it's taken off the table. Uh, with regards to the increased monetisation of football.
0: Yeah, for a match of the day too, Kieran, I I travelled from Oslo to Liverpool with um, a plane load of Norwegian Liverpool fans. The plane took off at 11 o'clock at night. Um, I've been involved in some sessions in my time, Kieran, but I can only (laughs) use the word carnage (laughs) for this one. (laughs) was I've 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 never been in a situation where I'm the only sober person in any in any room, let alone any airplane. But I'm a bit bit concerned about the pilot there, Kevin. The the, the pilot had his door locked, Kieran. He just there's a massive padlock on the the door. But we we arranged to go back the next morning to meet these Liverpool uh, Norwegian Liverpool fans in the city centre pub, quite well known city centre pub, at eleven o'clock, and got there at half past ten. and the dormant with they're barred. We had to throw them out at half this is at half, past, <laughs> at half past ten. They've been thrown out. Um it was an astonishing. I mean, they were the nicest posts you with, My God, yes. no. Oh, no wonder those monasteries didn't have a chance, Kieran. Those tenth century monasteries in the northeast coast. Um our last question, Kieran, comes from Sam Brake. And um, Sam, if you're listening to this, and I hope you are, I have to congratulate you, Sam, because I, I don't think we've I don't think the most uh, intelligent of the artificially intelligent robots that are going to rise up and rule the world, Kieran, as we've discovered this week. I don't think the most intelligent AI could come up with a question that suits Kieran Maguire better than this one. This this is the question that he's been waiting to answer all his life. Um, So well done, Sam. Sam says, with the Premier League now spending ridiculous amounts on player transfer fees and wages... What is the average cost per goal in the league, and which clubs are getting the best slash worst bang for their buck? Right. Um, this this question actually caused me to be
1: late for the podcast <laughs> for the first time because I I am one of those I, I would rather be three hours early than one minute late. You know, I'm sort of I've got I've got many foibles of which timeliness is 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 one of them. So I I, I set up to work on this, and it caused—I don't know—I don't know what happened, but it caused my spreadsheet to crash, and I was (laughs) practically in tears this morning. Oh my god! I I put twelve years' worth of work into this one spreadsheet, and it it wasn't actually caused by these numbers, but it was caused by something else which had been loitering, lurking in the background, and so that's why I had to do a a big repair job this morning. Um, With regards. To this, and it's an absolute corker. Thank you, Sam. It's not the 25th of December, but for (laughs) me, it's the closest that I could ever get to it, uh, as far as the podcast is concerned. Um, So, with regards to the figures, as in terms of the Premier League, the winners in the Premier League would be, and congratulations to Brentford Football Club. Mm -hmm. Uh, In terms of wages, um, it it cost them £1.42 million per goal. Um, Bottom of the Premier League, by quite a long way in in 21-22, which is the last year we have Biggest four is Manchester United. And people say, well, hold on, it would be Manchester United, wouldn't it? Because they got the biggest wage bill. But they, Manchester City were, were actually, I think, about fifth or sixth in the table. Second bottom were Norwich. Norwich had one of the smaller wage bills, but they didn't score many goals. And you'll be delighted to know, Kevin, that Crystal Palace are in the Champions League places. Get in get terms of, of bang per buck if in relation worries. to wages. They, they came a very creditable fourth.
0: So, well, I, I can only deduce from that, Kieran, our wage bill must be really, really low because we don't, <laughs> we definitely don't score many goals. Fourth, we came, did we? Mm. That's interesting. Where, where were Brighton in this? Brighton were eighth. This is oh. this is for
1: twenty-one,
0: twenty-two. Yeah, no, I'll take that Kieran. Let, yeah. Let's, let's yeah. not. Chat, let's chat. not look. Yeah. Yes, you're. you're um, you and my dad would have gotten very well because he was... The, the amount of times I would take him to Gatwick Airport to go to Ireland and say, Dad, why are we here seven hours before the flight takes off? He would say, you don't want to take the risk, son, do you? It's like, whereas yes. uh, Ed, Ed's worked out that it takes uh, one minute and seven seconds to get from our house to Norbury Station, and that's how much he leaves himself to get from our house. <laughs> and much as I try, and you know this, Kieran, because... It, Every time I log on, Kieran's there patiently waiting for me. I, I do really try. I, def- I really, really try. I mean, I was up at 8 o'clock this morning, and I was still three minutes late. I just can't. I, I, I try hard. I just, I'm just one minute behind the rest of the world, just in general. <laughs> um, thank you to everyone who's donated to the pod via our Patreon page, including Will Bryan, Darren Murray, Tommy, Aidan Buttimer, Matt Riley, Romeo and Stuart. I don't know if they're an item, Kieran, but I just <laughs> like reading out the words Romeo and Stuart. Uh, if you'd like to make a small monthly contribution to the pod as well, that would be very kind of you, and it gets you access to our chat community and our regular quizzes, and you can do that by going to patreon.com slash priceoffootball. If you're listening to this show on Monday, then tomorrow night, uh, Tuesday, we will be on the island of Jersey, Royal Yacht, on, so that's November the 7th. Um, you've probably left it a bit late to book flights and tickets now, but you can do so by going to priceoffootball.com. If you have a question you'd like answered on the show, you can email us at questions at priceoffootball.com. And if you'd like to buy our latest book or one of our other books or get yourself a Price of Football t-shirt, you can find details on the same website, priceoffootball.com. We'll be back on Thursday with our regular news pod. In the meantime, I shall hand you over to... No, Finley. you've timed that really badly. Daddy's not – he hears me going – price. oh, he's just said priceoffootball.com ten times. It must be nearly over. But he just got it wrong. Um, so, in the meantime, I shall hand you over to Mr. Kieran McGuire for his customary farewell.
1: Yeah, and we're really looking forward to coming to Jersey. And yeah. we hope you're all uh, – you've all, as well as you can be, following uh, the, the girls. I know you were hit particularly badly. Um, we're looking forward to the show, and we're also looking forward – very much to coming to Dulwich Hamlet on Thursday the 16th of November. Strictly, that is a sort of a quasi-book launch uh, show, but I suspect we'll get a bit distracted and we might have three or four stories arising which we'll cover. And of course, anybody that comes up, if you've got questions, we've got answers they, they, they won't necessarily match your questions but we, we all, we, we've got answers for everything uh, normally yeah you know, I I've, I've always, I've I've always go to the default of amortization if I'm not sure about something um, there's there's other ways that you can support the show and that's to give us a review using your app and also to give us a review for the book yeah that'd be nice as well yeah. um, and uh, it doesn't matter what you say as far as the the apps are concerned it helps us in the tables You could even say you would rather the show presented by, by all accounts, two of the nicest people the world's known in the shape of Rick Astley and Mel Smith. And God bless both of them. They are an absolute credit to the world.
0: Yeah, the trouble is, Kieran, I mean, I would love to see that happen, but it'd be a really short pod. (laughs) Because Mel Mel wouldn't have got to the, the show that looks at the money behind the beautiful game without. He would have just looked at his watch and just raised an eyebrow at Rick. And then they would be in the Weatherspoons in, Nor- in Norbury, <laughs> uh, and Rick Astley would probably have to cancel his next two gigs. <laughs> Bye, everybody. Vote for Bye. vote for the price of football. I son, for a